Chapter number 5 Live and let live Min ajli dhalika katabna ala bani Israila annahu man qatala nafsan bighayri nafsin aw fasadin fil ardi fakannama فَكَأَنَّمَا قَتَلَ النَّاسَ جَمِيعًا وَمَنْ أَحْيَاهَا فَكَأَنَّمَا أَحْيَا النَّاسَ جَمِيعًا وَلَقَدْ جَاءَتْهُمْ رُسُلُنَا بِالْبَيِّنَاتِ ثُمَّ إِنَّ كَثِيرًا مِّنْهُمْ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ فِي الْأَرْضِ لَمُسْرِفُونَ For that reason, we prescribed for the children of Israel that whosoever slays a soul, unless it be for another soul, or working corruption upon earth, it is as though he slew mankind altogether. And whosoever saves the life of one, it is as though he saved the life of mankind altogether. Quran, chapter number 5, verse number 32. Beloved of the gods, King Piyadasi conquered the Kalingas eight years after his coronation. 150,000 were deported, 100,000 were killed, and many more died from other causes. After the Kalingas had been conquered, beloved of the gods came to feel a strong inclination towards the Dhamma. A love for the Dhamma and for the instruction of Dhamma, now beloved of the gods feels deep remorse for having conquered the Kalingas. Indeed, beloved of the gods is deeply pained by the killing, dying and deportation that take place when an unconquered country is being conquered. But beloved of the gods is pained even more by this, that Brahmins, ascetics and householders of different religions who live in those countries and who are respectful to superiors, to mother and father, to elders and who behave properly and have strong loyalty towards friends, acquaintances, companions, relatives, servants and employees, that they are injured, killed or separated from their loved ones. Even though who are not affected by all of this, suffer when they see friends, acquaintances, companions and relatives affected. These misfortunes befall all as a result of war, and this pains beloved of the gods. Emperor Ashoka's story is famous. The Maurya Emperor wanted to annex the Kalinga region, a tribal society, to his empire. In the ensuing battle on the shore of Dayarival, tens and thousands of human beings were killed on either side. 100,000 soldiers on the opposing side and more than 10,000 army men among his rank and file. It pained him to see corpses scattered in the battlefield and to know the agonies of families who lost their dear ones. He weighed up the loss of the wounded in the battle. This led to a mental transformation in Ashoka and he spent the rest of his life for the spread of Buddhism. The lines in the above paragraph are supposed to have been written by Ashoka after this transformation. Ashoka had to see the whole Daya river in blood in order to realize the cruelty and meaninglessness of the murder of thousands of people in the name of war and expansion of territory. But this realization hardly benefited tens and thousands who lost their lives in Ashoka's craving for power. Ashoka's remorse, stung by the sight of the death of human beings, his conversion to Buddhism and his earnest attempt for the propagation of faith based on non-violence revealed certain truths beyond the Buddhist lessons of non-violence. When someone works under the notion that expansion of territory is a kingly duty without knowing about the exigency which necessitates war or about the code of conducting exigencies of war, the consequences would be so painful as to cause mental distress. 
This is what the Kalinga battle teaches us. Mankind is suffering from the consequences of someone's hunger for power, who are not led by clear guidance on, on the why and wherefore of war, as well as on its ethical conduct. The first ever war recorded in history occurred between Sumerians and Elamites at Basra, 2,700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. If we study the evolutionary history of mankind, we can understand that war had happened even before that. Both the Bible and the Quran make it clear that the first ever confrontation in human history was between Cain and Abel, children of the first couples, Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter number 4, 1 to 16. Quran chapter number 5, 27 to 32. After individuals formed into social groups, social conflicts would have been the consequence, and after nations were formed, confrontation must have attained national dimension. Though Arya Dasu battles are mentioned in the Hindu Vedas, the first ever battle recorded in Depik Mahabharata with chilling details was Kurukshetra, which is supposed to have been waged in 6,000 to 500 years before the birth of Christ. Expert opinion has it that it might have been occurred in between 1,400 and 950 BC. Evidence confirms Eratosthenes' opinion that battle waged by the Ambians, the Greek, against the Troy city as mentioned in Homer's Iliad, happened in between BC 1194 and BC 1184. The Bible says that many kings waged battle in the era of Prophet Abraham, who is proven by researchers as having lived in between 2000 and 2300 BC. The book of Genesis recounts the story of Prophet Lot, Prophet Abraham's nephew, being captured as a war captive and the patriarch releasing him from captivity with 318 soldiers. There is still the continuation of bloodshed initiated by the children of Adam and Eve, which vindicates the misgiving of angels that they pose to Allah before the creation of humans. Will you place therein one who will work corruption therein and shed blood? Quran, chapter number 2, verse number 30. War defies the first ever basic human rights, the right to live. When Duridrashtra asked Yudhistra how many people were killed in the Mahabharata battle, the latter said, 166 crore, 20,000 people. Experts argue that the above number is unrealistic in a war that continued for 18 days. However, it is clear that thousands of people would have been killed in Kurukshetra, war narrated in Mahabharata. Ashoka himself says that 1,10,000 people were killed in the Kalinga war, which he had held. It is estimated that in the First World War waged between 1914 and 1918, 1,65,43,868 was the death toll and the number of wounded is 2 crore 2,28,813. In the Second World War between 1939 and 1945, 11 crore 39,11,500 people were killed. Those who were killed in all these wars in order to satisfy the power hunger of their leaders were not merely combatants. About 100,000 people who were killed in the Kalinga War were the natives of Kalinga, who defended their land against the invading army of Ashoka. As Ashoka himself explains, the casualties included the old people and children. In the First World War, 97,22,620 soldiers and 9,46,248 civilians were killed. In the post-war disaster, 58,75,000 people were killed. In the Second World War, 4 crore 17 lakh 17,500 soldiers and 7 crore 43 lakh 77,000 civilians were killed. In all these wars that occurred for exchange of power, millions of people lost their lives. In the definition of the Prussian war strategist Karl von Clausewitz, war is to force our enemy to live by our interest. It is a sad fact that the ordinary people who have no benefit from war had to sacrifice their lives for this process of enforcement. 
Though new technologies and new weapons were invented, they did not help to decrease the number of casualties. No technology has ever been invented to ensure public safety during war. We cannot even count the number of people killed by the United States in its war against terror. While the number of civilians killed in World War I was less than the number of combatants, the number increased in World War II. It is the common people who are mostly killed in the wars that are currently taking place. Albert Einstein, who is a proponent of the theory behind the invention of the most lethal atom bombs, had warned that a third world war, if it ever occurs, would wipe out the entire human population. Einstein said, I do not know with what weapons World War III will be fought, but World War IV will be fought with sticks and stones. Islam is an ideology which teaches that human life is sacred, that none has any right to unlawfully kill another human being. The Quran says, mentioning the first ever murder in the world, من أجل ذلك كتبنا على بني إسرائيل أنه من قتل نفسا بغير نفس أو فساد في الأرض فكأنما فكأنما قتل الناس جميعا ومن أحياها فكأنما أحيا الناس جميعا ولقد جاءتهم رسلنا بالبينات ثم إن كثيرا منهم بعد ذلك في الأرض لمسرفون For this reason, we prescribe for the children of Israel that whosoever slays a soul, unless it be for another soul or working corruption upon the earth, it is as though he slew mankind altogether. And whosoever saves the life of one, it is as though he saved the life of mankind altogether. Our messengers have certainly come unto them with clear proofs. Yet, even after that, many of them are prodigal on the earth. Chapter number 5, verse number 32. In the Ten Commandments given to the children of Israel, it is said that no person should be unlawfully killed. The Sixth Commandment, as quoted in the book of Exodus and in the book of Deuteronomy, is, You shall never kill. In the Quran verse above cited, it is clear that all prophets were taught against unlawful claiming of life. Islam teaches that none is allowed to kill oneself, leave along others. The Quran says, إلا أن تكون تجارة عن تراض منكم ولا تقتلوا أنفسكم إن الله كان بكم رحيما ومن يفعل ذلك عدوانا وظلما فسوف نصليه نارا do not slay not yourselves. Truly God is merciful unto you. And whosoever does that in enmity and injustice, we shall cause him to burn in a fire. And that is easy for God. Chap number 4, verse number 29 and 30. Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught that the paradise is prohibited for those who kill themselves. Sabit bin Dahaq reports, The Prophet said, those who kill themselves using an iron rod will be punished in hell with the same weapon. Jundab reports, the Prophet said, A person commits suicide because of a wound. Then Allah says, 
He surpassed me as far as his life is concerned. Therefore, I have denied praise to him. Abu Huraira reports, The Prophet ﷺ said, If a person asphyxiates oneself to death, he would be asphyxiated in hell. If someone kills himself by stabbing, he'll keep stabbing himself in hell. Abu Huraira reports, The Prophet ﷺ said, If a person kills oneself by jumping from a mountain, he'll keep falling down in hell. If a person consumes poison and dies, he would have poison in hell forever. If a person uses a weapon to kill oneself, he would mutilate himself with a weapon in hell. He would always carry that weapon. Jund bin Abdullah says, The Prophet said, One of your forefathers is wounded, an impatient man as he is. He chopped his hand with a knife. His blood did not get clotted till he died. Allah said, My servant hastened to death. So, I made paradise illegitimate for him. The Prophet ﷺ has taught that those who think of unlawfully spilling the blood of others would be at the forefront of those who are subjected to Allah's wrath. Ibn Abad reports, The Prophet ﷺ said, Three kinds of people enrage Allah. Those who do violence nearby Masjid al-Haram, those who desire to follow what they did in the age of ignorance, and those who seek a way to unlawfully kill a person. The Prophet ﷺ taught that the first case to be settled on the Day of Judgment would be murder. Abdullah reports, The Prophet ﷺ taught, The first thing to be settled in the hereafter would be murder. The Prophet ﷺ made it clear that a person would enjoy liberal generosity in Islamic societies as long as he does not spill the blood of innocence. Ibn Umar reports, The Prophet ﷺ said, As long as he does not spill the blood of a sacred innocent life, a believer will enjoy the munificence of the religion. The Quran makes it clear that the innocent people will enjoy security at the hands of a believer. While making a mention of the good attributes of a believer, the Quran says, <laughs> Those who do not call upon another God along with Allah and do not slay the soul that God has made inviolable, save by right, and who do not fornicate, for whosoever does that shall meet requital. Chapter number 25, verse number 68. While listing the prohibitions, the Qur'an emphasizes murder as one of them. Say, come, I will recite that which your Lord has forbidden you, that you ascribe nothing as partner unto him, 
and you be virtuous towards your parents and that you do not slay your children for fear of poverty, we will provide for you and for them and do not approach indecencies, whether outward or inward, and do not slay the soul that God has made inviolable, save by right. This he has enjoined upon you, that perhaps you may understand. Chapter number 6, verse number 151. Islam views that everyone has the right to be born and live once he or she is formed in the womb of the mother. The Quran verses which chastise the ritual of Arabs in the age of ignorance to kill their children for fear of poverty are most suited today to those who encourage feticide for fear of population explosion. This is how the Quran enjoins the believers in this regard. <laughs> And do not slay your children for fear of poverty. We shall provide for them and for you. Surely, their slaying is a great sin. Chapter number 17, verse number 31. Abdullah reports, he says, I asked the messenger about the gravest sin. The messenger wasallam, said, To attribute peers to Allah who created you. Then I said, That is indeed a deadly sin. What is the next gravest sin? The Messenger وسلم, said, To kill a child fearing that he would die with you, you will have to fear him as well. What is next? The Prophet وسلم, said, To fornicate with the wife of your neighbor. It is not worthy that the Quranic command that a life which Allah made inviolable should not be killed is followed by the clause unless it's for legitimate reason. Islam does not teach the impractical theory of non-violence, which has it that a life should not be terminated, come what may. Islam teaches that life might be terminated for a legitimate reason. The Quran clarifies the necessary situations and contexts in which a life cannot be killed. The Quran verse which equates the killing of an innocent human being to the extermination of the human race makes this fact very clear. Whosoever slays a soul, unless it be for another soul, or working corruption upon the earth, it is as though he slew of mankind altogether, and whosoever saves the life of one, it is as though he saved the life of mankind together. Chapter number 5, verse number 32. This verse makes it very clear that someone would be killed for murder or for causing mayhem on the earth. Murder and mayhem are considered as wrongdoings, deserving capital punishment. It is clear that killing someone for doing these wrongdoings is legitimate. While it's illegitimate for any other reasons, it is a judge who is supposed to declare punishment for all iniquities. All forms of murder carried out without being instructed by a ruler or judge is illegitimate. We can understand from the text of Islam that killing, even if done unintentionally, should be understood as illicit act and the subject is made to atone for the act. 
the Quran teaches. وَمَا كَانَ لِمُؤْمِنٍ أَن يَقْتُلَ مُؤْمِنًا إِلَّا خَطَأً وَمَن قَتَلَ مُؤْمِنًا خَطَأً فَتَحْرِيرُ رَقَبَةٍ مُؤْمِنَةٍ وَدِيَةٌ مُسَلَّمَةٌ وَدِيَةٌ مُسَلَّمَةٌ إِلَى أَهْلِهِ إِلَّا أَن يَصَّدَّقُوا فَإِن كَانَ مِن قَوْمٍ عَدُوٍّ لَّكُمْ وَهُوَ مُؤْمِنٌ فَتَحْرِيرُ رَقَبَةٍ مُؤْمِنَةٍ وَإِن كَانَ مِن قَوْمٍ بَيْنَكُمْ وَبَيْنَهُمْ مِيثَاقٌ فَدِيَةٌ مُسَلَّمَةٌ فَدِيَةٌ مُسَلَّمَةٌ إِلَى أَهْلِهِ وَتَحْرِيرُ رَقَبَةٍ مُؤْمِنَةٌ فَمَن لَّمْ يَجِدْ فَصِيَامُ شَهْرَيْنِ مُتَتَابِعَيْنِ تَوْبَةً مِّنَ اللَّهِ وَكَانَ اللَّهُ عَلِيمًا حَكِيمًا It is not for a believer to slay a believer unless it be in error. Whosoever has slain a believer in error, let him set free a believing slave and pay compensation to the victim's family unless they remit it in charity. If he belonged to a people at war with you, but was a believer, then believing slave is to be set free. If he belonged to a people with whom you have a covenant, let him pay compensation to the victim's family, and let him set free a believing slave. Whosoever does not have the means, let him fast two consecutive months as a penance from God. God is knowing and wise. Chapter number 4, verse number 92. Islam views that capital punishment being carried for killing and for causing corruption is an act of retribution. If it is not carried out, illegitimate killing would spread in the society. Only when the killers and those who spread corruption in the society are punished, as an example, all citizens could live without fear for their life. The Quran verse which stipulates capital punishment makes it very clear. O believers, retribution is prescribed for you in the matter of the slain. Free man for free man, slave for slave, female for female. But for one who receives any pardon from his brother, let it be observed honorably, and let the restitution be made to him with goodness. That is an alleviation from your Lord and a mercy. Whosoever transgresses after that shall have a painful punishment. In retribution there is life for you, all possessors of intellect, that perhaps you may be reverent. Chapter number 2, verse number 178 and 179. This Quran verse stipulates that only those who commit crime are to be punished, commanding the faithful to abhor the savage custom of killing the slave of someone in retaliation 
of killing the slave of another man, leaving the decision of whether to kill the killer or to set him free for a recompense at the discretion of the relatives of the slain. It is remarkable that this verse ends with the piece of advice, possessors of intellect, that perhaps you may be reverend. These words make it clear that if the criminals are let scot free and are not punished, they will have the free reign to have their own way in the society, and that retribution is a prerequisite in an ideal society. The Quran commands that those who cause riot and corruption in the society, thereby destroying peace and tranquility, are to be punished as an example. <laughs> Verily, the recompense of those who wage war against God and His Messenger and endeavor to work corruption upon the earth is that they be killed or crucified or have their hands and feet cut off from the opposite sides or be banished from the land. That is their disgrace in this world, and in the hereafter there shall be a great punishment. Save those who repent before you overpower them, and know that God is forgiving and merciful. Chapter number 5, verse number 33 and 34. Islam envisages a society sans homicide and wicked corruption. When it says that criminals, rioters and those who destroy peaceful social situations are to be given exemplary punishment, Islam aims to create a peaceful and calm social situations. That is why religion emphasizes that those who apologize and mend their ways, they are free from punishment. The aim of Islamic law is not punishment, but to create a peaceful social atmosphere where everyone can live peacefully without fearing of murder and immorality. This is also applicable to the war laws in Islam. Islam permits war in order to live with an idea. It does not mean to wipe out the opponents of Islam or establish the religious supremacy over others. The objective of war in Islam is to live by the divine system and share that ideal life with others. The first revealed verses in the Quran permit the believers to fight for the sake of claiming their rights after they were not allowed to live as Muslims. It has been reported with an authentic chain of transmitters that Abu Bakr came to know about the premonition of war when the 39th and 40th verses were revealed. The following is the meaning of those verses demanding the believers to fight the war against those who do not let the believers live peacefully in a country to which they have migrated, forsaking all their houses, belongings and earnings. الذين أخرجوا من ديارهم 
بِغَيْرِ حَقٍّ إِلَّا أَن يَقُولُوا رَبُّنَا اللَّهُ وَلَوْلَا دَفْعُ اللَّهِ النَّاسَ بَعْضَهُم بِبَعْضٍ لَهُدِّمَتْ صَوَامِعُ وَبِيَعٌ وَصَلَوَاتٌ وَمَسَاجِدُ يُذْكَرُ فِيهَا اسْمُ اللَّهِ كَثِيرًا وَلَيَنصُرَنَّ اللَّهُ مَن يَنصُرُهُ Permission is granted to those who are fought because they have been wronged and truly God is able to help them who were expelled from their homes without right only for saying our Lord is God were it not for God's repelling people some by means of others monasteries, churches, synagogues and mosques wherein God's name is mentioned much would have been destroyed and god will surely help those who help him truly god is strong mighty and who were we to establish them upon the earth would perform the prayer give the alms and enjoin right and forbid wrong and unto god is the end of all affairs chapter number 22 verse number 39 to 40 these verses make it clear that muslims should wage war in order to resist attack They also clarify that if there had not been such a defense not only muslims but non-muslims also could not have lived peacefully by performing their religion the consequences of letting the prosecutors caught free is that there would be a state of affairs in which abbeys churches synagogues and mosques would be destroyed and no believers could perform their prayers peacefully the natural corollary of muslims fighting for the sake of ending persecution In the name of religion is that other believers could live peacefully in a tranquil state of affairs. The verses from 190 to 193 in Surah Al-Baqarah and the 75th verse in Surah An-Nisa explain why and how Muslims would wage war. وَقَاتِلُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ الَّذِينَ يُقَاتِلُونَكُمْ وَلَا تَعْتَدُوا إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُحِبُّ الْمُعْتَدِينَ وَقُتِلُوهُمْ حَيْثُ ثَقِفْتُمُوهُمْ وَأَخْرِجُوهُمْ مِنْ حَيْثُ أَخْرَجُوكُمْ وَالْفِتْنَةُ أَشَدُّ مِنَ الْقَتْلِ وَلَا تُقَاتِلُوهُمْ عِندَ الْمَسْجِدِ الْحَرَامِ حَتَّى يُقَاتِلُوكُمْ فِيهِ فَإِنْ قَاتَلُوكُمْ فَاقْتُلُوهُمْ كَذَلِكَ جَزَاءُ الْكَافِرِينَ فَإِنِ انْتَهَوْا فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ غَفُورٌ رَّحِيمٌ وَقَاتِلُوهُمْ حَتَّى لَا تَكُونَ فِتْنَةٌ وَيَكُونَ الدِّينُ لِلَّهِ فَإِنِ انْتَهَوْا فَلَا عُدْوَانَ إِلَّا عَلَى الظَّالِمِينَ The meaning of those verses are as follows. And fight in the way of Allah against those who fight against you, but do not transgress. Truly, God loves not the transgressors, and slay them wheresoever you come upon them, and expel them whence they expelled you. For strife is worse than slaying, but do not fight with them near the sacred mosque until they fight with you there. But if they fight you, then slay them. Such is the recompense of the disbelievers. But if they desist, then... 
Truly, God is forgiving and merciful, and fight them until there is no strife and religion is for God. But if they desist, there is no enmity save against the wrongdoers. Chapter number 2, verse number 190 to 193. <laughs> الذين يقولون ربنا أخرجنا من هذه القرية الظالم أهلها واجعل لنا واجعل لنا من لدنك وليا واجعل لنا من لدنك نصيرا And why is it that you do not fight in the way of Allah and for the weak and the oppressed men, women and children? who cry out, Our Lord, bring us forth from this town whose people are oppressors, and appoint for us from you a protector, and appoint for us from you a helper. Chapter number 4, verse number 75. The laws of war that could be derived from these verses are as listed hereunder. 1. Muslims are allowed to defend those who are fighting against them with arms. 2. Muslims are allowed to wage war against those who attack them, persecute them, and usurp their houses and appropriate their wealth, and do not regard their rights. 3. Muslims are allowed to fight the war to liberate those who are persecuted and tortured for their faith, and are forced to live without publicly expressing their religion. 4. Muslims should not fight in order to avenge themselves on their enemies, but in order to achieve freedom, to live in the way of Allah, following their religion, and to propagate it. 5. There should not be any form of transgression in war. 6. Muslims should not spare an opportunity to kill their enemies in the context of war. They should kill them wherever they find them. 7. Muslims should wage the war till prosecution ceases and the religion is devoted to Allah. 8. Once the persecutors desist from causing riot, Muslims should not seek a way against people among them, except those who transgress. Islam permits war in the face of exigent circumstances, not to build empire, nor to exterminate political rivals, nor to establish supremacy for the enjoyment of life. The aim of war, which Islam permits, is the freedom of people to live by their ideal belief. Islam takes the ideal stand that one should use armed struggle against those who use weapons to exterminate believers. However, even in war waged against those who attack, torture, take over one's homeland and assert one's wealth and positions, and against those who do not permit us to live by our faith, Islam states that one should not transgress and commit violence. Islam commands everyone to live and let others live. Armed resistance is permitted by Islam in a context in which one does not let others live for one's vested interests. It is remarkable that Islam granted permission for armed struggle by making it clear if there had not been such a resistance against aggressors, one's right to freely profess one's religion and living peacefully would have been taken away. أُذِنَ لِلَّذِينَ يُقَاتَلُونَ بِأَنَّهُمْ ظُلِمُوا وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلَى نَصْرِهِمْ لَقَدِيرٌ الَّذِينَ أُخْرِجُوا مِنْ دِيَارِهِمْ بِغَيْرِ حَقٍّ إِلَّا أَنْ يَقُولُوا رَبُّنَا اللَّهِ 
Permission is granted to those who are fought because they have been wronged and truly God is able to help them who were expelled from their homes without right only for saying our Lord is God were it not for God's repelling people some by means of others monasteries churches synagogues and mosques wherein God's name is mentioned much would have been destroyed and God will surely help those who help him truly God is strong and mighty chapter number 22 verse number 39 to 40